the legacy of the Christian church is that expository preaching of the Scripture is, in fact, the biblical pattern. Could you defend the practice of the exposition, the verse-by-verse study of God's Word to someone who challenged you? Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What is expository preaching, and why is this kind of preaching so important? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue with part two of a series titled Recovering a Lost Legacy. The legacy of the Christian church is expository preaching the verse-by-verse explanation and application of Scripture in a verse-by-verse approach. You see it in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. Moses preached sequential expositions, and the priests also taught verse-by-verse to the people. Jesus himself was an expository preacher, as was the early New Testament church. But why? Well, Tom will unfold the key biblical reasons why expository preaching should be the normal pattern for preachers today. You'll come away seeing the imperative to recapture this important legacy of the Christian church. Let's learn more right now as we join our teacher on The Word Unleashed. Before the square which was in front of the water gate, from early morning till midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and there next to him were, the, were these others who were responsible. Ezra, verse 5, opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. What's interesting is several common practices today trace to this day in Nehemiah 8. Ezra stood on a raised platform at a wooden podium, so not only so all the people could see, but there was a picture that he was standing between God and them as God's instrument to teach them God's Word. Our platform and our pulpit trace back to that day. And although you don't stand for my entire sermon, for which you can give God thanks, (laughs) throughout church history, Christians have stood as we do for the reading of God's Word out of a sign of respect. That all goes back to Ezra. It goes back to 500 years before our Lord. But look at verse 6. Then Ezra blessed Yahweh the great God, and all the people answered amen and amen while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, these Levites, verse 7, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book of the law, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. So what did they do here? They read and they translated. That could mean they translated the Scripture from Hebrew to Aramaic because most of the people no longer spoke Hebrew. More likely, they explained the meaning of the reading. But regardless, they did that. We know they explained the Word because that's what God had called them to do. And verse 7 clearly states that they explained what was read. So what's happening here? 
Ezra and the Levites reestablish the pattern. In their reform, they reestablish the pattern for the corporate worship of God's people. They read the text and they explained the text. They read the text and they explained the text. This was the Old Testament pattern. A third biblical argument is Jewish synagogue worship. Worship in the synagogue followed the same pattern. In the first century, the Sabbath service centered on reading and explaining the Scripture. James describes this practice in Jewish synagogues at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15.21. This is what James says, Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Did you hear that? Moses is read and preached, read and preached, read and preached. That was the pattern. Philo, the first century Jewish philosopher, describes the typical weekly synagogue service at the time of Christ. Quote, they come to the holy places called synagogues according to their age and order. The young men sit under the elders at their feet and with a decent composure attend to the hearing. When one taking the book reads and another one of the most skillful explains what is not known, they read and explain. They read and explain. So in the synagogue during the time of Christ, the most skillful teachers read the Scripture, and then another or the same one explained that portion of Scripture. <clears throat> the typical synagogue service then in the first century, it included readings from both the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, that's the rest of the Old Testament. So there was a reading from Moses, the first five books, there was a reading from somewhere in the rest of the Old Testament, every Sabbath. And the sermon was connected to those readings. And the reading was, like all the way back to Moses, intentionally consecutive. Week after week, the teacher read the next portion in the law and the next section in the prophets and explained the reading. Undoubtedly, there were times when the leaders of the synagogue may have given the, a teacher liberty to choose a passage to be read, but ordinarily, First-century synagogues followed a systematic, consecutive reading of Scripture from the law and then from the prophets, and then a sermon explained that day's reading. Normal synagogue sermons, then, were consecutive expositions of Scripture. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean they were always good expositions. Jesus often corrected the content of their sermons, but He never took issue or disparaged their method of consecutive exposition. The teacher read the next passage beyond where they ended the previous week and explained it. That was the pattern of synagogue worship, and that is crucial to understand to get the next argument. And the next biblical argument is this, our Lord's teaching ministry, our Lord's own teaching ministry. Again, Hughes Oliphant Old writes, Jesus was preeminently a preacher of the Word. His three-year ministry was above all a preaching ministry. A crucial part of Jesus' preaching ministry, however, 
listen carefully, a crucial part of Jesus' preaching ministry was in synagogues on the Sabbath. Matthew 4.23 records Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus himself said in John 18.20 to Pilate, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. But you can see this most clearly in Luke's gospel. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke drives this home. Luke chapter 4, and look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. Now, verse 15 explains the focus of his ministry in Galilee. He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all, all around Galilee. So the focus of his ministry, this new ministry in Galilee, was preaching in the synagogues all over Galilee. Now the next verse, verse 16, describes his return to his hometown. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and notice this, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. He took the book of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him, opened the book, and found the place where it is written. Now, you'll notice verse 20 concludes after the reading, he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the congregation were fixed on him, and he began to say to them. Now, the word began means Luke didn't record Jesus' entire sermon. But what I want you to get is in his hometown synagogue, Jesus did exactly what was done in the synagogue. He read the text and he explained it. Jesus was an expository preacher. After the people of Nazareth rejected him, Jesus continued teaching and preaching in the synagogues in Galilee. Look down at verse 31. He came to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. This was his regular practice. Verse 44, he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Notice there it says of Judea. This was the focus of Jesus' ministry, not only in Galilee, but also in Judea. That is either a reference to the the region around Jerusalem, or it might be a reference to the entire land of Israel. But either way, this is what Jesus did every Sabbath. Jesus never failed to worship on the Sabbath, and every Sabbath he read the text and he explained the text. Verse 6 of chapter 6 adds this, on another Sabbath… He entered the synagogue and was teaching. Luke 13.10 again mentions he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Listen, folks, examine the ministry of Jesus, and you will find a pattern. He often taught during the week. Those are some of his most famous sermons. There are countless examples of his teaching from, from boats in the Sea of Galilee, from hillsides the temple grounds in Jerusalem, and many other venues during the week. 
But the primary focus of Jesus' teaching ministry, week in and week out, was preaching in the synagogues. And there, Jesus participated in the normal routine of synagogue worship, the consecutive reading and exposition of the Word of God. Jesus was a sequential expositor. So don't you believe those who try to convince you that there's no example of this in the Bible? This didn't happen. We're just making this up. No, this was Jesus' primary approach to the teaching of God's Word. Let's move on to a fifth biblical argument, the New Testament church. The New Testament church. Here we discover yet another argument for exposition that is ordinarily sequential or consecutive. From the beginning, the church's leaders were devoted to teaching God's Word, and God's people were equally devoted to the apostles' teaching, according to Acts 2.42. You remember in Acts 6, the apostles faced at the church in Jerusalem a surprising distraction from their teaching. What was it? It was the ministry of caring for widows, an important ministry, but one that threatened to distract them from praying and teaching God's Word. But they determined to focus their greatest priorities in this way, Acts 6, 3, and 4, brethren, select from among you seven men whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That was the priority of the apostles as they ministered to the church in Jerusalem. But that wasn't merely the apostles' priority. That became the priority of the local church elders, the primary duty of New Testament elders. This is clear even in what distinguishes elders from deacons and others. It is an ability to teach God's Word, 1 Timothy 3.2. They must be able to teach. Paul describes the elders that the church should support financially when he writes to Timothy, talking about the church in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy 5.17, he says, you need to support financially, quote, those who labor at teaching and preaching, end quote, because of the priority that it has in the life of the church. The priority… of the ministry of the Word is is also clear not only in the New Testament examples, but in its commands. Paul insists that both the Old Testament and the growing body of New Testament-inspired documents were to be read and explained in the corporate worship of the church. I started with 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, where he says, "'Until I come.'" Give your wholehearted attention to the public reading of Scripture, to teaching, that is, to explaining it, and to exhortation, that is, to applying it. And he goes on to say, be completely devoted to this. Be in these things so that your progress will be evident to all. He says, Timothy, as a shepherd, you have one chief duty, and that is to feed the sheep. Read the text, explain the text, apply the text. That was the job, the job description of a New Testament elder. In 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. 
under the authority of Christ Himself, 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul demanded that New Testament elders read and preach the Scripture. Not only the Old Testament, but Paul's letters were to be read as well, showing that the New Testament is to be treated in the same way. In 1 Thessalonians 5.27, Paul writes, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. And the clear implication is that the reading was to drive the explanation. And ordinarily, the reading would have been consecutive. Again, the clear implication is that Paul's letters were to be read in their entirety as he had written them, and the elder who read 1 Thessalonians to the congregation there was to read the letter as Paul wrote it, and he was to explain whatever needed to be explained to make it clear just as he was to do with reading the Old Testament Scripture. So, by apostolic command then, we are to read and explain the New Testament books and the Hebrew Scripture or the Old Testament. So, let me summarize it this way. The Word has always been central in the worship of God. It has always been the key element of worship. That's why there isn't an altar here at the center of the pulpit in the front of this church, but a pulpit that pictures the reality that this has been the central role all the way back to Moses and especially to Ezra in Nehemiah 8. The ministry of the Word has commonly been the systematic consecutive reading and then explaining of God's Word. That's exactly what we do here week after week, month after month, year after year. Why? Because we like to do it? No, because that is the biblical pattern and mandate for the leaders of the church. Always has been and always will be. So let's move then to the implications of all of this. What are the implications of this determination that you need to have, that I need to have, that as a church we need to have to recover the legacy of expository preaching? Let me give you several. Number one, understand this, that any church that is not wholeheartedly committed to expository preaching, and I say this with grace, but it's true from what we've just seen, has lost through carelessness of its leaders in the past or abandoned intentionally out of the, the greatest amount of pride the legacy of the Christian church. This is what has been done. A failure to do it is either carelessness or pride. This is what God has demanded of His church. Number two, personally, personally, you need to embrace the biblical priority of and develop a personal appetite for expository preaching. Look, I get it. We live in a soundbite world. We live in a TikTok world or an Instagram world where everything is here and done, here and done. Tom, can you hurry it up? I've got other things to do. You need to develop an appetite for what God has demanded happen in His church. Listen, if you can sit, if you can sit and watch a baseball game for three hours, if you can sit and watch a movie for two hours, if you can sit and and binge on Netflix for hour upon hour, you can listen to the Word of God for a few minutes. Develop an appetite 
for expository preaching because this isn't something I decided I should do. This is what the church has always done because it's what God commanded be done, and they're example after example in the Scripture and throughout church history. And why should you do that? Because you, this book that you hold in your hand, that book contains everything you need for life and godliness. In fact, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he said to Timothy, the Scripture, listen to this, the Scripture, what's in, in between the covers of this book is able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, you want to be forgiven of your sins? You want to know God, your Creator? The answer to that is not found out there somewhere. It's found in the covers of this book. It's found between the covers of that book you hold in your hand. This is God's wisdom that will point you to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've already come to know that salvation, Paul goes on to say in that very same passage that the Scripture is able to equip you for every good work. That's why we, that's why we are so careful with it. Because if you're in Christ, you're not going to find help in self-help. You're not going to find help on the Internet unless it comes from explaining this book. This is what God has given you for life and godliness. And His Spirit to help you understand it. Teachers in the church to help you further understand it. This is God's way. So embrace that. Number three, choose only churches that take God's Word seriously. And that is demonstrated by a pattern of sequential expository preaching. Listen, if you if you are visiting and decide this church isn't for you, look, I understand that. But don't you dare go to a church where God's Word isn't taken seriously because this is what God has demanded of His church. And some guy who gets up and gives a 20-minute chat with all of his jokes and stories and doesn't read, explain, doesn't read the text, explain the text, and apply the text is a travesty on the ministry, and he is unfaithful to Jesus Christ as Lord because this is what's been required. Don't choose a church that doesn't take God's Word seriously. Number four, value the treasure of God's Word. Read it yourself, study it, meditate on it, obey it, and teach it to those under your influence. If, if this is the priority when we come together for worship, then it should be the priority when you worship individually. Worship is not about a feeling. Feelings follow truth. It's about the truth. And number five, be a good expository listener. If I'm commanded to be an expository preacher, you need to be a good expository listener. How do you do that? Well, it starts with bringing your Bible with you where you can track with me and hold me faithful. You ought to be able to leave here going, yep, I see that. I see that's exactly what that says. That makes sense. If it's something esoteric and you look at it and go, I have no idea where Tom got that, that's a problem. You need to be tracking with me. I encourage you to consider taking notes. You don't have to take notes. That's not required biblically. But consider it to aid as a, as a memory tool, to aid in focused listening. Review the passage that we, that we deal with during the week. Go back, read it, think about what you learn, seek to apply it. Take your role in this process seriously. This is for your soul. It is, not, it is for my soul, but it is not solely for my soul. It's for all of us. 
Beloved, let's insist on the legacy of expository preaching because this is what the scriptures teach. This is what faithful men have always done. And that's why we do it here. So it's not new. This is not new. This is old. And it's because God has commanded it. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will bring you part three next time, and we hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word unleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the word unleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.